Well, good morning. Um, so in a few weeks' time, we're going to be starting a teaching series. We're going to be going through the New Testament book of Romans from September to Christmas. We're going to be working through it. Um, but for the month of August, we're going to do something that we've um, never done before, and you can tell me afterwards if it was a terrible idea. Uh, we're going to take. We're going to be looking at popular songs and shows and exploring some of the main messages that they express and have a sort of conversation with our culture and with some of the ideas out there. Does that sound okay? Yes, sure, yes. Well, I have no choice. So, um, Now, art, all art, whether it's um, paintings or songs or shows or architecture or inventions, all art uh, isn't something that we should just absorb unconsciously. And we've all seen those kids who just mindlessly stare at screens. But we shouldn't just absorb it. Neither, really, should we just react to it at a gut level. And, but that's often how we do react to things on TV. What did you think? Did you enjoy it? How did it make you feel? What's going on in your gut with this piece of art? Instead, I think as Christians, we need to engage our brains. And we need to learn to ask questions like, what is the artist or the author trying to communicate here, and do I agree with it? I don't want to imbibe ideas subconsciously without meaning to. And so in part, that's, that's what we're going to do today and over the next few weeks. You see, with everything that we come across, whether it's the song that we just had sung to us, films that we watch, with everything, there's going to be aspects of it that we in the church and we as Christians with our Bibles, we can celebrate, we can affirm it, we can add our yes and amen to the message in the, in the movie. And then there'll be aspects of it in the song that we just heard sung in various bits that we, we have to reject because it's ultimately we believe it to be a destructive message. And there'll be other bits that we need to redeem through the lens of the Christian message of Jesus. So instead of just saying, did you like it? We need to ask ourselves, what can we celebrate? What needs to be rejected? And what does the gospel redeem? Um, however, it is the Bible that is our authority in life. And it is the Bible that is my basis to stand up here and speak to you from. So rather than trying to exegete the greatest showman. I want us to look at what the Bible says first of all, um, because this is the basis of our truth. This is what Paul writes. Paul, uh, one of the early founding fathers of the Christian message and the Christian faith, planted churches across the known world in his day. He writes to a, a son of his in the faith, a man named Timothy. And he says this. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. 
to the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word to us. Now we'll come back to those verses in a sec, uh, in a short while, but before we do, let's, let's start. We're, we're looking at the greatest showman together this morning, whether you've seen the film or not. The Greatest Showman, the musical that was released in 2017. Uh, grossed over $434 million worldwide, making it the fifth highest grossing musical of all all time. It received Golden Globe nominations for Best Picture and Best Actor in Hugh Jackman. And the song, This Is Me, that we just had sung, won the award for Best Original Song. Now, the storyline of the film is based very loosely uh, on the story of P.T. Barnum's life and his creation of the Barnum and Bailey Circus that was dubbed by himself the greatest show on earth. Now ultimately the film is escapist entertainment with a positive message, essentially a message about a man who fulfills his dreams, overcomes his upbringing, silences his critics, remains faithful to his wife and family and has a good sing about it along the way. I mean, what's not to love? The film's big number, This Is Me, stresses more explicitly, however, what, what it is that the film wants us as the audience to identify with, to celebrate, and to affirm. And it also contains the main message that the film's really trying to drive home. Bless you. Now, real life and um, cinema fiction are two very different realities. Just as traditional values and increasingly modern values are very different ones as well. In his day, Barnum created circuses and museums that today have all been closed down because of their exploitation. Two examples of this are perhaps um, the case of the man monkey, someone named William Henry Johnson, who was a black man who suffered from dwarfism as well as having a misshapen skull. Barnum put this man on display created a mysterious language for him to speak and then invited people to come and interact with him. Uh, Or more famously to many of us perhaps is the example of General Tom Thumb uh, who Barnum publicized as being the smallest person who ever walked alone. At age four, Barnum took him from his family uh, and taught him to impersonate famous people. Then by age five, he had him drinking wine and by age seven, he was smoking cigars for the public's amusement. Now, Barnum was a showman, the greatest showman. Uh, He did whatever he thought would make money and entertain people. Uh, His shows he called freak shows, and they included albinos, giants, Siamese twins, magicians, exotic women, and various other people with life-limiting disabilities. But the film doesn't dwell on that aspect. That doesn't sell very well. It's not very good for a musical, is it? Instead... The film recasts something that is deplorable by emphasizing and celebrating Barnum's inclusion and empowerment of diversity and disability. It's a very modern, liberal message in that respect. Okay, now, I want the film and the song that we heard sung uh, and the Bible text that we just read, I want them two to have a kind of conversation. Uh, They'll chat and we can just listen in and see what we think. And there's some things that they, they agree about. Uh, and there are some things that they disagree about. 
And because it's a lot more exciting to listen in on dis people arguing than it is to listen to people agreeing, we're going to kind of move past the agreeing bit and quickly get to the juicy bit. Where, oh, well, he said what? She said, no, she didn't. We'll do that. But first of all, let's, just, uh, let's look at what it is that we can agree on or what the film celebrates that we as Christians celebrate and say, yes, amen, that's why we'll get them up and sing it because it's good. The song begins with the words... Uh, by the way, I'm aware of how this, this could be can portrayed as basically looking like a teenage girl getting my philosophy for life from a, a pop song, but there we go. I'll, I'll be open to that accusation. Teenage boy, in my, my case, I should say. The song begins with the words, I am not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. It, it requires a huge amount of restraint to not try to sing it. Um, the <laughs> you'll be grateful for me exercising that restraint. Uh, the film is a lot about, the film, not Barnum's life, the film is a lot about treating people of disability and difference with the respect that they deserve. Barnum turned them into circus acts, but still the message of the song comes through for us today. Um, the song starts by picturing a world that deals with difference and disability as a thing to be shunned and discarded, kept in the shadows, hidden away. This is the brutal world of social survival that many of you are very familiar with. Uh, this is the world where babies with Down syndrome are screened out, where the weak and the elderly are kept hidden away. It is the world of the Serengeti school playground, where the strong survive and the weak well, the weak get laughed at for not fitting in or they get made redundant for not making the grade or for not selling enough insurance policies in any given month. Now, as far as the film pictures a world where things are done differently and, and encourages us to dream of a world where things are done differently, where people are honoured for who they are and not just because of what they do or what skin colour they have or what sex they're born with, as far as it dreams of a world like that, we applaud it. And the reason for that is because ultimately it's the Bible that gives us the soil that's needed for ideas like tolerance and accept, acceptance to flower fully in the first place. We're told in the Bible that human beings have been made in the image of God, been made by God and given dignity by God. No matter how big or small or able-bodied or well in mind a person might be, they bear the imprint of God and ought to be treated with the respect that they deserve, the, the, the respect that that deserves. Martin Luther King, the, the um, civil rights activist, he once said, he said, there may be gradations of talent, strength, intelligence, and beauty, but there are no gradations of the image of God in a person. So in fact, someone this week sent me a beautiful village, uh, village video. Uh, I don't know how you would package a village and send it in the post. That's something to ponder on. Someone sent me a beautiful video this week of a montage of 50 families um, with disabled children singing and signing along to songs from The Greatest Showman. Celebrate. We celebrate that message in the film. Actually, Hugh Jackman's character in the film goes on this arc and he learns to identify with the freaks and the outcasts of his society. And in fact, in the end, he even chooses their company over the company of the rich and the famous. It's a journey that we all ought to go on. It's something we ought to do the same. We ought to emulate. The reason for that is because that's exactly what Jesus did. In Jesus' day and in ours, 
the people who are revered as gods are the people who are famous and powerful and wealthy. But Jesus flips that. He says, in my kingdom, those who are first in the world, sorry, those who are last in the world shall be first in my kingdom. And those who are first in the world shall be last. And Paul writes to the church in, in Corinthians, and in 1 Corinthians, he says to them, God has chosen what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is shameful in the world to, sh- to shame the wise. What is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He's chosen the things that are not to shame, to, put, to despise the things that are. And we in the church have got to stop idolizing and aspiring to the same levels of wealth and power as everybody else does. And actually, the positions of power in a church community ought to be the positions of service and weakness. Jesus said, the slave shall be the greatest among you. That's how you should organize yourself. We're coming to what we read in 1 Timothy. Um, Paul describes in the verses we read how God treated him, and he describes himself as being an outcast as far as God was concerned. The man who's writing what we read is a man who, who describes himself in verse 13. He says, I was a violent opponent of the Christian message. He says, I was a persecutor of Christians. I was a blasphemer of God. Worse, he describes himself as being the chief of sinners. If anyone is excluded from being counted as a good Christian or a valuable person in society, it was Paul. And yet Paul says in verse 14, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Grace is a word really that means the lavish and generous kindness of God. He says God's lavish kindness overflowed to me. An outcast, a freak by God's standards. Now God the Father saw him as he was and rather than crushing him, exalted him to a place of honor and influence and And few people have had as much influence on Western history as the Apostle Paul has. Now, having done that, where they agree, it's at this point that the conversation between our text and the song takes a turn for the worse. Listen in. Um, Listen to more of the lyrics from the song. The bit in the song that, if we're honest, we all love to sing. This is what it says. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, I'm going to drown them out. I am brave, I'm bruised, I am who I'm meant to be, this is me. Look out, because here I come, and I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen, I make no apologies, this is me. They're words that we love to sing, that's why the song is so catchy, but what's really being said here, what's really being expressed and stressed Why is it so catchy? Why is it so sticky? There is a strong, strong, strong desire and drive in every human heart to be accepted. It's a strong desire. And it's a desire that if we're honest and self-aware, is a desire and a drive that dictates almost everything we do. To be accepted, to be loved. Uh, John Bowlby a, psycho- a psychologist who developed theories of attachment and belonging that, um, that almost every therapist uses, he writes this. 
He says the drive for secure attachment, in other words, the drive to feel accepted, is a stronger drive than the drive for sex and food. So, given the strength of that drive and need, it's fair to assume that a big reason why the film's message works so well and connects with us so much is because we each identify in some way with the circus. We're all weird. We're all freaks. We're all those who long to be accepted, long to belong, but deep down harbor concerns that we might be too freakish for the world to accept. I love the title of one popular book, uh, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. And where the Bible and the film part companies is in what they do next. They both agree with that reality. There's a strong drive in the human heart for acceptance. When faced with that realization, what happens next And the answers that they both put forward is something that we as Christians should be aware of. Now, the the approach that the film takes, and and it's an approach that's taken by so many family films and songs, so many current in contemporary culture, so many, in fact, that we don't even register that it might not be a particularly Christian approach. The approach that they take is the approach of asserting ourselves and our weaknesses as they are. This is me. Watch out, because here I come. I'm brave, I'm bruised, but this is who I'm meant to be. Oh, and did I mention I'm glorious? This is me. We can almost feel the pats on the back and the fist pumps and the, you go, girl, you got this. That's how it feels. Confronted with insecurity and brokenness, the winds of our culture tell us freedom, peace, joy comes from learning to accept and embrace yourself as a snowflake, precious as you are, and assert yourself. Be yourself. Let it go. Don't hold it back anymore. Express who you are. Hashtag accept yourself. Hashtag you do you, which is the phrase out there. It's nice. It's delicious, in fact. Amy is rolling her eyes at the back. My wife is thinking. He really has unleashed his inner teenage girl. (laughs) That message is delicious to us. It tastes lovely to my ego and it's definitely one way of dealing with vulnerability and insecurity you see the drive to fit in is a drive for in the bible's language is a drive for righteousness for being in the right or being acceptable to god the trouble is what if deep down i'm not as good a person as the song suggests I am. What if I really ought not to express myself? What if I'm not righteous in the Bible's language? Or what if I'm not socially acceptable in the language of our society? You see, in society, we're all for people being themselves until they step out of line (laughs) or they say or tweet something that they shouldn't. Unless you're Donald Trump. Donald Trump can do what he wants. We're all for you being yourself until you tweet something sexist or homophobic or xenophobic or whatever your society deems to be inappropriate. The social commentator Matt Schneider writes this. He says, what if the authentic me, what if the me that everyone is telling me to assert happens to be a selfish and manipulative person who uses others as a means to my own ends? 
Must you accept it because I'm being who I'm meant to be? This is me. I'm letting it go. I won't let you hold the real me back anymore. No, in actual fact, the, the real message of our society is be yourself as long as you're not Genghis Khan. Or be yourself, you know, the, the mild-mannered, compliant, polite, socially well-adjusted version of yourself. Just be yourself. The heart of the problem we've got, again, is the problem of the human heart. And it's this problem that the greatest showman and our culture doesn't really know how to answer or deal with. You see, generally, the, the approach is to downplay the problem of the human heart. You are glorious. You're good. Whenever your behavior lets you down, we'll overlook that. That isn't you, is it? Is it you? It's not you. That's how we raise our kids. Search for the hero inside yourself, little Johnny. You're glorious and angelic, little Johnny. You're just Johnny Rotten today, but you're glorious. I had to learn this lesson early on, actually, when we took our kids to um, nursery, and they, were, they reported back to us some poor behavior on his part for the day. And I, I can't remember, maybe, maybe it was me or maybe it was Amy, it's probably Amy. Amy said, oh, he's naughty. No, you wouldn't say that, would you? No. He's naughty. And I was told off at nursery for using the word naughty, because they said, no, 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 he's not naughty, they said to me. Naughty is a negative identity. He may have made a bad choice, but he isn't bad. I'm like, well, what if all he does is make bad choices? What if all he does is do naughty things? There's a tension there between... Our culture says, take pride in who you are. The Bible says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Has anyone noticed there's a clash between the messages of our age, the messages of our songs? Verse 13, in what we read, Paul labels himself with identity statements. He says, I was a persecutor, a blasphemer, a sinner. I was an opponent of God. He even labels himself the foremost or the chief of sinners. To which our society would say, no, you're not. Your behaviors let you down, granted. But you're not the chief of sinners, Paul. You really mustn't go around with that label on yourself, Paul. It won't do you any good. Our, our approach is to encourage self-esteem. Which up until like, the last hundred years... The, another word for self-esteem was pride. And in almost every society apart from ours, we've recognized pride isn't good. <laughs> but in our society, it's puff up his pride, puff up his pride. <laughs> Just help his ego get big, or self-esteem. Ego is necessarily a, a, an unhelpful term, but puff it up. Anyway, Paul, the Apostle Paul, looks into his heart. <laughs> and what does he see? Well, he doesn't downplay the evil that he sees there. He doesn't, he doesn't say, God has got to lump it and accept me as I am. He's not, an, he's not in arrogant op opposition to God when he writes this. He doesn't say, this is me, I'm going to send a flood, and God is just, I'm going to try to drown God out. The Apostle Paul is broken, and he's acknowledging his brokenness. He's despairing at it. I'm the chief of sinners, I was a persecutor. I did all the worst things you can imagine. I locked up the people of God. I went from city to city trying to get Christians killed. I celebrated when Christians were stoned to death. That's who I was. And actually, Jesus' disciple Peter, he has a similar revelation where he, he is confronted with his own wickedness and his response is to fall down at Jesus' feet and say, I'm evil. I'm a sinner. Get away from me. 
Again, Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 you're lovely. The Bible says a broken and contrite heart is a beautiful thing to God. It's uncomfortable for us, very uncomfortable for us. You see, for us, when we're feeling down, we're we're feeling full of guilt and shame, we want to get back up to, look out because here I come. That's what we want to do because that makes us strong. It's delicious, as I said. But you see, it's the Apostle Paul's and it's Peter's and it's the Bible's clear-sighted honesty and humility that makes them candidates for God to use in mighty ways. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of God belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn and are meek or trodden on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. On and on he goes. The reason because, he says, those people, they shall inherit the earth, they shall see God, they shall receive comfort, they shall be called sons and daughters of God. You know, when you're in the dirt and dust, when you're brought low by your selfishness, by your weakness, by the wickedness in your heart, when you're aware of just how small you are, when you're able and willing to acknowledge that you're a sinner, it's what you do next that makes all the difference. It's where you go. It's what you do next that shows what kind of gospel you believe. You know, popular culture offers us a gospel. The word gospel means good news. It offers us a good news message. And the good news is this, good news, that isn't really you. (laughs) Or it says, good news, you're just a victim of circumstances, or you're just a victim of your genetics. Or it says, good news, the world should bow to you, to your might. Good news, drown them out with your awesomeness. Accept yourself and declare to the world, this is me. Good news, you've arrived on the world stage. It's a good news message that is tasty to us because it appeals to our pride, but it's a good news message that in theological terms we'd call it a false gospel. And the slightly worrying thing, for someone like me at least, (laughs) is that this false gospel in the language of it, because it's so prevalent, it's the water we swim in, it's in us, in the church. Now you hear people quote Bible verses, and they quote Joshua 1.9, and they say to each other, be strong and very courageous, without adding the fact that the next few words are, because God is with you. Or they quote, we quote Philippians 4 to one another, you can do all things, and they leave out the bit that says, through Christ, who strengthens you. And we in the church have to be very careful here. We have to reject messages from our culture like this whenever we come across them in our shows and songs. We don't avoid this. It's a catchy song. We like it. But we need to sing it understanding what's going on. We need to sit down with our kids and teach them what the gospel says. This is a gospel, kids. This is one approach to the wickedness of the human heart. And we can sing songs and we can celebrate the bits that we like, but we can spit out the bits that we don't like, the bits that promote self-righteousness, which is essentially what it does. Self-righteousness, man-made righteousness. You see, if we don't, we'll end up with a Christianity without Christ and a church without anything worth singing about other than our own brilliance and beauty, which is idolatry. And it's the problem that the whole Bible starts with. (laughs) 
The whole Bible is about trying to address that problem that we are gods. We don't need God. We can do it ourselves. And here we find ourselves again, singing and celebrating the false gospel of the Garden of Eden. The true gospel, however, the message of Christianity, the reason we have got something to sing about, is because it stares down our wickedness and it's honest enough with us to say, you can't do anything about this. And then it turns us outwards and says, there's a saviour. There's, there's good news. There's a rescuer. There's a deliverer. And see, it's not, I am brave, I am bruised, this is who I'm meant to be. I'm my own saviour. Instead, it's, but I'm not brave. And I am bruised. And I don't think this is who I'm meant to be. God help me. And that's exactly what he does. You see, I'm going to apologize every day for who I am, for the choices I make, for my self-centeredness, for my sin. I'm going to ask my wife, I'm going to repent to my wife and my kids and my friends regularly. Say, help me. I'm not going to send a flood and drown them out when they disagree with me. Assert myself. I'm going to lay down and plead with God for mercy and help. And then I'm going to celebrate the fact, the reality that although I deserve death, and though I deserve to be an outcast, although I deserve to be mistreated and gasped at by the angels as a freak, God hasn't created that. God didn't make a freak show and a museum of sinners, the horrors of the universe, these beings that refuse to acknowledge who he is and instead have behaved as though they're gods. God didn't create a museum of freaks. He didn't. In fact, he did the opposite. We read it. This is a trustworthy saying deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus, in other words, he's saying, this is a good summary of what Christianity is all about. It's about it before you become a follower of Jesus, and it remains about it as you live for Jesus throughout your life. Jesus came to save sinners. Are you a sinner? If you're not, he didn't come for you. He, there's no help here. But for those of us who acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I miss the mark. I get things wrong. I'm broken and bruised. I'm not who I'm meant to be. I'm supposed to be more than this. The Apostle Paul says he came even for the chief of sinners. And if Paul was here, he'd want to lay out a catalogue of what he'd done and say, beat me for wickedness. <laughs> if you can beat me, you might, you know, be able to claim that title for yourself. But the, the reason he's saying this is a trustworthy saying is because you can say this about yourself, but you can't say it about someone else. I know how wicked my heart is. I don't know how wicked your heart is. As far as I, as far as I know, <laughs> this could all be about my wickedness, and you could be sitting there going, we never behave. I don't understand this man. He's selfish and self-centered. Strange. He is a freak. <laughs> the result of this, though, this gospel, is that we learn to, as we learn to live within this posture on our knees, not asserting ourselves, but asserting Jesus. Not hoping in ourselves, but hoping in Jesus. Not believing that we're the answer, but seeing that Jesus is the answer. This, and not the false gospel of self-salvation and self-righteousness, this brings with it a few things. It brings with it strength to overcome. Because the grace of God trains us to be able to say no to the things that are destructive for us. It brings with us brings with it lasting peace because I can't save myself and I'm not shocked by my evil and my selfishness 
my peace doesn't rest on my performance, it rests on Christ. It brings with it a robust celebration in life because he forgives all who turn to him. And I've turned to him. And it brings with it contentment. True satisfaction and contentment is possible only in this gospel. Because in this gospel, we've learned to receive every good thing in this world as an undeserved gift from a kind God. I mean, you know what kind of gospel you've got and what kind of gospel you're believing, whether it's the false one or the true gospel. You know by where your worship gets directed. For Paul, he, finished, he finishes what I read out earlier by, by saying this, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, to him be honor and glory forever. To him, not to me. Paul says, God be adored, not me. Jesus be seen, not me. Jesus be exalted. Jesus' gospel is what I'm hoping in and it's what transforms me, not me. And ultimately, where your worship is shows you what gospel you've got. In contrast to the song, This, this Is Me, listen to the, as I conclude, listen to these famous words of a hymn composed 150 years ago. Just as I am, or we might say, this is me, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me, and that you have bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Let's pray together.